Praise the Lord. Come on, how good is God to us? I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, if it's possible, let him come here for the very first time on his international plane. And uh, you heard it. You heard how he can't hardly contain himself. Well, you know, if you just look at the, just the mechanics of it or, the, or the, uh, the timing of it, if he gets on a plane and he chooses to fly first class or business class or whatever, uh, most airlines don't have too many first class anymore. They just fly business class and normal economy class or whatever. Um, he, could, he could get on a flight in America, fly direct flight to South Africa or fly one stop to Europe and be here in 22 hours. As it is, he's leaving Fort Worth or Meacham Airport where his plane is. This, in about eight hours, nine hours from now, he's going to be leaving Texas. He arrives here Wednesday night. So he's stopping over a couple of times and it's taken him much longer to get here. So you could say, well, you know, uh, practically it would cost less money and you could get here quicker and you would be comfortable. But that's not what his faith requires. His faith demands that this come to a conclusion because his faith has called this and spoken this into being for many, many years. I'm just glad we get to feel the first time the exercising of his faith for all those years. We are the recipients of that. We get to have the whole full picture and the joy of it. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And uh, so he has uh, said to me that um, they're going to take care of all the fuel costs up front because they have a, a, a company that manages their, their, um, all of their travels. So this company will pay for all of their airspace all the fees that, that are for uh, flying over every country's airspace, for all of the traffic control fees, all of the things that they need, all of the landing rights, all of the, the uh, refueling of in every place where they stay. There's one company that has got a global footprint that they use to manage all of that. And uh, so they pay the fuel bills on behalf of Jerry, Jerry Savelle Ministries International Aviation. And so at the end of the trip, they present the fuel bill to Jerry Savile Ministries, who pays them in America. So once that's done, we will get presented with the cost. And I believe that we will have what it takes to take care of all of it. At this point in time, I don't know what the exchange rate's going to be. And I don't know what the actual cost is going to be. Neither do they. By the way, they have an estimate. But they don't know the exact cost because the price can come down. I believe it will come down. I believe all of the costs will come down. I don't care if it goes double the price when they leave. Well, I do, but anyway. <laughs> but for now, it must rather come down. Amen. Praise the Lord. This is a privilege for us. It's a real privilege for us to be able to do that. And I want to just thank you all for being so gracious in your hearts and having such a heart of generosity and being so willing 
and being so obedient to God to be fully present in this and fully willing and fully obedient. And we get to partner with Brother Jerry in something that can never be repeated ever again because there's only one first time. There's only one first time. And we get to do that with him. It could be repeated many times, but there's only one first time. And this is a moment where we are participating in something very, very special. I'll tell you what this means to me. It means to me that uh, there was a fullness of time for his expectation to be, to be manifested. And it doesn't matter that he's in his 70s. It matters only that God has answered. Which is why this trip is so important. Because, because God is answering our spiritual leader in, in something that he's been believing for for many, many years. And um, that means that we can immediately exercise our faith because he breaks a barrier. Because he breaks the barrier, we can immediately exercise our faith that there are barriers that have been long time waiting for us that we can now break through. And so that's why what we do here is important, that we can break barriers. And so I want to say to you, this is part of what I believe God is going to do with us on on, on the, the, the financial realm, the economic realm, some of the conversations we're going to have is if we're going to go to the maximum, we've got to break some barriers. We've got to break barriers. We've got, there's some things that have been holding us down. We've got to break through them. And we can do that spiritually by some things that we can just do spiritually. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Okay. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been talking about different things, and I'm just going to remind you very quickly, Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to preach it. Jesus came as a fulfillment of promise, so that we can be free from performance, and in Him know the truth and live in power. Now we live, uh, now we live promise, and we live in promise, not performance. We live in power, not personality. If you're dependent on your personality for something, you're limited to your personality. But if you live in power, your personality is removed out of the equation because God will always do more than your personality. He can do much more because it's his power. This should be very good news for people um, that are already beginning to train themselves to live not in the power of their personality, but in the, in the power of God. So we exchange our lives for purpose and not for popular culture. And I have been speaking to you about the fact that if you live in perception instead of truth, you will open yourself to deception. And many people say, well, you know... Uh, what is absolute truth? There is no such thing as absolute truth. All truth is about perception. I say to you, there is an absolute truth. His name is Jesus. His name is Father God. His name is Holy Spirit. They are the Godhead in one 
absolute truth. Whatever happens in the rest of the world, they are absolute truth. Nothing else can be truth like they are truth. Whatever they say is truth is what truth is. It doesn't matter what other men and other beings say truth may be. Whatever they say truth is, is truth. And the contest between light and dark is often around what is truth. And it started all the way back in the Garden of Eden because uh, the devil came to Eve and his question to Eve was, did God say? Did God say? And so he immediately questioned the validity of God being the absolute truth about anything. And so if you have a mind that is exercised in intellectual uh, uh, gymnastics, if I can say, or analytical processes and breaking down theoretical thinking and philosophies, if you have a mind that is, that is exercised in that, then you will obviously use your mind to question the truth. Did God say, or mm, perhaps you wouldn't think of it that way, you would rather say, how does God's truth apply? And so the minute you say, how does God's truth apply? You leave it up to you to decide how you apply it rather than seeking what the Father says you should apply. This is the whole thing. Jesus showed us the way. He said, I do nothing. Huh? Do nothing other than what the Father shows me I must do. I say nothing other than what the Father says I should say. He showed us the way of how to live in absolute truth. That means you say and you do what the Father says. And so many people say, well, but God's given you a mind and he's given you talent and he's given you gifts and he's given you all of those things so that you can behave on the earth. Yes, he has. And people exercise those intellectual properties and those gifts and talents all the time. And for the most people on the earth, a majority of people on the earth, they have nothing to do with God. And so then, do we take our lead from those people or do we take our lead from Jesus? Who's the savior of your soul? The philosophy of the world or Jesus? Who's the savior of your soul? And so if Jesus is the savior of your soul, surely then that truth should be the foundation truth. And if that's a foundation truth for you, then you should seek what all the other truths are. And so the only way out of deception is correction. Rejection of correction will enforce your perception as the highest form of self-believing truth. So I talked about God being the source and we having resources. And uh, this morning I'm going to touch on a subject that... Uh, and I've been talking to you about Gideon and how Gideon was uh, introduced to an angel of God. And this angel came to speak to Gideon while he was busy making food for his family or providing, making provision for the future of his family. And so this angel comes to him and the angel says, I want you to go and tear down the altar of Baal that is your father's altar in the, in the city, and I want you to pull it down, I want you to burn the bulls, and use the wood, and, and just burn it down, and tear it down and burn it. And of course the city's in an uproar, and so 
Gideon's father quite rightly says, well, if Baal is such a great God, let him defend himself. And so they have no answer to that. And uh, I, I, uh, I heard some information this week that I haven't had time to verify myself. Uh, I'm, I'm sharing it with you as a news source of information. So it's open to debate. I'm, I'm just being open with you about this. You, you might have a different set of facts, but I would, I would like for you to find out if you can. Um, it, is, it is the information that I received that without looking into communist China and Russia and North Korea and Iran and countries that are separated from the Western world, if I can use it that way, more dictatorial or theocratic nations, taking those nations out of the equation, there is only one Western world country that lives and meets its budget every year. And that country is Switzerland. Every other Western nation from Germany to France, to America, to South America, they all have astronomical debt. At the moment, America has a debt that is equal to their annual GDP. So their debt is $31 trillion, their annual GDP is $31 trillion. That means at this point in time, America is on the edge of creating more debt than their, GD, than their annual income can produce as a country. And so uh, up to this point, because the US dollar is, is, the, is the currency of the world, if they just print more dollars and there is still an appetite for people to keep the value of the dollar up, they can keep printing dollars and so therefore, theoretically, they can print themselves out of a deficit but economics will tell you they can't keep doing that for too long because you've got to have a budget. Well, here's the a, here's a thing. How long, can you, how long can you spend money over and above your income? You can do it with an overdraft. You can do it with a credit card. You can do it with a, some kind of a loan. But at some point in time, people are going to say, well, how are you going to pay the money back? Right? And so if you stop having the capacity to pay the money back, you're in trouble. They come looking for you. Well, how do they do that with a nation like America? Well, every year for the last, I don't know how many years, America has just raised the debt ceiling level, meaning legislation, Congress and the Senate have to pass a law that says the debt limit was this much money and we raise it and we raise it and so it becomes a law so that it's like going back to the bank and say, I need to increase my credit card limit. I need to increase my credit card limit. I need to increase my credit card limit. And so there's only so far you can go with increasing your credit card limit before you run out anyway. So why am I telling you all of this? Because if that's the truth that you trust in, uh, well, I'd rather have a, I'd rather have a income in mighty US dollar than in any other currency. 
I'll tell you what, I'd rather have an income in. I'd rather have an income in the way God says I should get it rather than what an economic profile says I should have an income in because governments will fail, systems will fail, but God will never fail his people. Never fail his people. And that is the story of Gideon. The story of Gideon is is that there was this horde of people that massed every year, the Midianites and the Amalekites and others that joined in with them. And they came every year at harvest time and they came to seize the harvest of the Israelites. And here's Gideon. He's of the smallest tribe. He's the youngest of a small family. And God speaks to him and he says, it's time for us, for me to, I've heard the cry of my people and it's time for me to act. But I can't, I can't move through you, Gideon, unless you are prepared to tear down altars that have been built to other gods as close to as and including your father's God. And so we are faced in our own lives right now, we are faced as to whether we are going to continue with the institutionalized ways of developing our lifestyle or whether we are going to give our lives over to the Most High God and let Him direct our paths. Hey? And so following God is never a bad option. Following yourself is always a marginal option. Following your desire following your will, following what you think is best is always going to be a marginal. Let me be be clear. I've said this for as long as I've been preaching, even before I was in a full-time ministry, I've said this. Wealth is not something that just belongs to the church. On the contrary, most wealth is outside of the church. That's not a good thing because God wants the church to be, the the wealth to be in the church. He doesn't want the wealth to be outside the church. He wants it to be in the church. So wealth is not something that Christians get because because they are Christians. Wealth is something that comes to people who understand how to work with the system. Now, if you're, a, if you're a non-believer, you can work the world system and you can become wealthy, right? If you're a believer, you can also work the world system, but if you do it with the, with the wisdom of God, you put Him first, he, he guides you, and then when you give the wealth coming into your hands, you give Him credit, when you give him credit and you give him glory, then he can tell you what to do with your money. Here's the good news. When you do that, he multiplies it. He doesn't add to it. The world system doesn't want to multiply it. It just wants to give you a little bit more, a little bit more. But God wants to multiply your wealth. He can only multiply it if you put him first place. Praise the Lord. And so Gideon, of course, uh, you know, he goes through this exercise. He tears down the, bar, the altars. 
And then he starts to call. 32,000 people pitch up. And then God says, this is too many, lest they take glory for themselves. And so he gives them an invitation. Who wants to go home? 22,000 go home. And that's because they don't have an appetite for it. And that, as I said last week, is the majority of the church, is that they don't have an appetite to walk away from the institution, the life of the world system, and go after God's way. And so he's left with 10,000 men that are ready to fight. And God says, still too many, because they'll still take too, glory, too much glory for themselves. And so he gets them to drink water. And the guys that get on their belly and they lap with their, with their tongues, he says, that's the 300 I will use. And I finished last week by saying, God's looking for 300. He only needs 300. He doesn't need 10,000. I did say, and the Bible gives a distinction between the fact that they didn't go home, they just went to their tents. So they remained in a state of readiness. And so that's a good place to be, is instead of going home, you remain in your tent so you're ready if God gives you an instruction to what's next. Amen. So, I'm going to just read to you out of the book of Judges now. Um, It happened on the same night, Judges 7 verse 9, it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, Go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hands. But if you are afraid to go down to the camp, if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. And you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So God is meeting Gideon where he's at want to make this point to you. When you are getting ready to say, I'm ready to follow God and I'm ready to face this huge power of institutional life, this huge power that has, is controlling governments and controlling the world economic system, I'm ready to go with God. God is answering you through these messages and saying, If you are afraid, hear the word of the Lord, then your hands will be strengthened. There's no shame in saying, I'm afraid. Because such is the power of the system that your mind cannot conceive that God could use little you or the little that you have to defeat a system. And so obviously the logic would be, I'm going to trust the system and I will go with everything that my plan has initiated for my survival and for the best options for my future, rather than saying, I'm going to trust in God. It's okay to be afraid. It's not okay to stay afraid. Because the word of the Lord is coming to you and saying, I am bringing a message to you. If you are afraid, hear the word of the Lord and he will strengthen you. If you resist this message and you reject this message, God cannot deal with your fear. There will be those that will walk in victory, they will walk in deliverance, and they will walk in the spoils of war while the majority of people stay at home because they didn't engage the battle. They stay at home, they stay safe, 
but they never get the spoils. They never get the spoils. If you want spoils that God has for us, you've got to be willing to engage. You can't go home. You've got to go at least to your tents and be ready to actually engage. Just watch this. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. And their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. So these are their enemies. And this man is telling his dream. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tank, tent uh, and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. This is the enemy that has come to actually ransack all of the harvest. Where do you think that he's getting this information from? He can't help but speak out the will of God. Even though he is against the very people that God's will is for, he has to speak what God says. He cannot speak against God's people. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpret, interpretation that he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Well, we have to look at Jesus. We have to look at what the Word says. We have to look at what the Holy Spirit says and do likewise. Come on. If you don't do what God is commanding us to do, then you can't expect to get victory. The message of God has already proclaimed through two apostles, two prophets pro prophesying in their apostolic office brother Jerry and myself, that this year is going to be a year of the maximum, the highest level, and that this year we are going to step up and step in, and there's God's got something really amazing for us. Now, if you do not accept this messenger, if you do not accept that I am a messenger of God, then of course this word would mean nothing to you. Then you cannot say, I'm speaking that word over my life. You, you can't selectively choose it. Why do you think Jesus, why do you think God said to Gideon, tell the people that I don't have an appetite for war, let them go home. Why do you think that was the case? Well, first of all, God wanted glory for himself. Secondly, if God tells Gideon to do something and they don't have an appetite for it, what do you think they're going to do with the command of Gideon that says, come, let's go fight? 
They're going to say, I don't have to listen to you. Who are you? You're just Gideon. You come from your father's household. That's a small household. And you come from Benjamin. So who are you to tell us that we must go and do this? Who are you? So they would not listen to anything that Gideon said. So, people that come to church and sit and listen to the messages, but they reject the authority of the messenger. If they reject the authority of the messenger, they cannot receive anything the messenger says. Nothing. Number two, they're certainly not going to receive anything the messenger says in a time of war where everything's at stake. And so your training doesn't come when you're at war. Your training comes long before you go to war to obey. I can certainly say that I considered it a privilege to have been in the military because it taught me many things and set many things on a course of, of, good, of goodness in my life. And... Uh, I certainly learned when I was in the army, you do not have a choice whether you're going to obey a command. You don't have a choice. So Gideon is commanding an army, is he not? He's not just commanding the covenant people of Israel. That's the prerequisite that they are covenant people. But they must choose to be in the army with Gideon as the captain. They must choose it. He's not commanding them. On the contrary, God has already made a clear line. I'm not going to just choose people that are sitting on the fringes and on the edges. I'm going to choose people that are in it. To win it. They're in it to obey. They're in it to do whatever Gideon commands. Please note, who's commanding Gideon? God. In fact, God is so uh, integrated with Gideon that he even knows that Gideon's heart it will faint at the task. And he's saying, because I know you have, your heart is going to, is going to undermine your ability. I'm going to set it up so that your enemy will declare what their future is going to look like. So, I'll tell you that you cannot go against, the whole world system cannot stop what God's going to do through his church. Well, Pastor John, how can you be so confident about that? Because Friday I got talking and I'm going I'm to move into event, the events that God chooses on his timetable. Events. There is a prescribed event that is coming. It is a time when Jesus is going to come back and he's going to interfere in the things of men directly on the Father's command and he's going to establish a new order on the earth. That time is coming. It's not going to be waiting forever. That time is coming. There is nothing that the world system can do about that time. 
The Father has proclaimed it. He has declared it. He has already established it in himself and prophetically spoken it out by the words of prophets that this event will occur. So it doesn't matter how much people want to send, you know, that Elon Musk wants to go and inhabit Mars and he wants to put a colony of people on Mars and he wants to have colonies of people going in satellites around the thing because he wants to save the planet and become the richest man on the earth with this vision. Nah. I wonder if he has an agenda or not. Anyway, I don't want to go there today. It doesn't matter that, that people are trying to find out and that there's some other life out somewhere in a planet. I can tell you this. If there is any other form of life outside of this planet, the Lord and Master of their, that life form is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's not some other stuff. I mean, I'm just making a logical thing that I don't know everything. So if God, in his wisdom, created beings on other kind of intergalactic things, how are we going to know? But if they are out there, then Jesus is their Lord. Because Jesus only died once. He only came and occupied a body once. That body was killed and God the Father raised him up from the dead. And that only happened once. And so there's only going to be one Lord and, and Master. And his name is Jesus. And the Bible says every name that is named above the earth, on the earth, and below the earth, all of them will acknowledge and bow to the name of Jesus. There is no other being in the whole universe that is outside the scope of bowing to the name of Jesus. So every institution is going to bow to the power of those who know the power of the name of Jesus. I've got news for you. All of these great institutions that we have put our trust in for all these generations, they're failing. Who's going to end up controlling the future? Those that have the name of Jesus. Ah. I'll tell you what, there's a whole bunch of Christians that run away from this message that we preach. I don't submit to nobody. I don't have any preacher telling me what to do with my life or any of my family's life. That's not going to happen. I've got news for you. You are fairly squarely in deception. You have taken on a level of truth that is self-motivated, self-corrupted. It's all about yourself. And you want other people to do what you say, but you won't do what God says. My, my children must obey me. My wife or my husband must obey me. But I won't do what God says. I certainly won't do what the pastor says. You are corrupted. Your version of truth is corrupted. You are deceived. And I've got news for you. The message that this pastor preaches, the word of God, because it's based on the word of God, in the end, you're going to submit anyway. Because the system you are trusting in for yourself, is going to fail you. Because there you can do nothing against the truth. You can only, everything that you do is only going to substantiate the truth. And so Gideon is faced with that issue 
32,000 people show up. God says, send the 20,000 home. They don't have an appetite for it. Those 10,000, there's still too many people, but they will be ready. And when the time comes, I'll let them into the battle. I just need 300 who are willing to do whatever it takes. Who's the commander? The one who's receiving the instruction from God. Not everybody. God was not talking to 300 people. Mm, you know, Pastor John, what are you telling me? You're saying, we can't hear from God. No, you can hear from God, and you should hear from God. But when it comes to the corporate body of Christ and giving us direction as a corporate body and bringing revelation to the church that we must all live and change our lives by, God's gonna do it corporately, and he's gonna do it through his messengers. He's not gonna leave it as a democracy as to who gets to say what. He didn't do it in Gideon's day. He didn't do it in Jesus' time. He didn't do it with the apostles and the disciples. He hasn't done it since. The church is not a democracy. And so, mm, well, Pastor John, uh, Gideon could have become quite a powerful and haughty man. No kidding. And uh, in the end, people came to him and, and said, why don't you be the king over us? And he said, God didn't call me to that. God called me to be the head of his army to deliver you. God didn't call me to be king. And that is a great reflection on how God, should, God will use leaders in the body of Christ. We have no business in becoming things that God has not called us to be. And as a pastor and leader, I have no business interfering with your life unless you ask me to partner with you in your joint, in your decision making. He has the power of it. If you do not include my messages and the message that God has given you, the shepherd that God has given you, if you do not include me because of these messages, then I can do nothing Nothing to help you. I can only watch you as you go about your great plans for your life. I've done pretty well till now without you, Pastor John, so why do I need you? Well, I don't have an answer for your question. The very fact that you ask the question tells me where your heart is. Because if you're saying that about me, you're also saying that about God. For sure. People say, oh, do you tax? Do you pay taxes? Well, if you don't, you should be. Do you pay tax? Why do you pay tax? Because there's a government. So you don't want to obey the government? I'll tell you what, if you don't pay the taxes, the government's coming after you. Oh, so you'll obey a natural law in the government, but you won't obey God's government. Yeah, because there's a consequence to the natural government if you're not obedient. You think there's no consequence to God's government? And most, most people that have no no uh, connection to God's government, 
and they're a law to themselves. They, why are they a law to themselves? Because they set their own laws, they establish their own laws, they live by their own laws, and they implement their own laws. And don't anybody dare tell me that I don't have this under control completely. Well, I think that's the key word. Control. You want to be in control. You don't want to give God control. So what does Gideon say? Gideon says, I, I see God, you've called me to lead your army. And so I'm fearful in my heart that I cannot I cannot complete my assignment. And God says, I know that in your heart you are, you are conflicted because of the enormity of the forces that come against you, the sheer power of what they've been able to accomplish year after year after year. And he said, I'm going to even work with you and I'm going to let them prophesy out of their own mouth the end result of what they are going to do. You, Gideon, obey me. And so when God, when he gets... Uh, ready to act, I want to just show you what Gideon does. He understands that these, this enemy would not be saying what they're saying if God was not controlling the speech coming out of their mouths. So, he, this guy says, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of his, into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so when, when he speaks it, he gets, he understands this is God and he gets the execution of it because the, the, the command that he gives them is he says, do, you shall do as I do when I blow the trumpet and I and all who are with me, then you shall blow the trumpet on every side and the whole camp say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. This is exactly what that man said. It's the sword of Gideon. He just said, this is not me. It's the sword of the Lord and Gideon. He used the words that God put in a non-believer's mouth as his execution. I will do that because I recognize he would not have said that unless God put words in his mouth. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they posted the watch. Gideon, you know, he loves to do things at night. He tore down the, 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 the altar of Baal at night, and now he's doing, well, that worked. Let's do this one at night. And they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers. They held their torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place and all around the camp. And the whole army ran and cried out and fled. I've got news for you. If you obey God, there is no institution, no financial, no political, there is nothing that can stand against you if you will obey the way of the Lord. If you will obey the way of the Lord. It must bow to you. Otherwise, God's a liar. And the word of God says there is no lie in him. There is no shadow of turning him. There is not even a doubt in him. His way is true, it is pure, it is clear. Yes. 
Hallelujah. And so, I say to you today, uh, if we are going to go higher, if we are going to go to the maximum, if we are going to uh, step up and step into the things that God has for us, we have got to be ready to obey what God tells us to do. We have to be ready what God tells us to do. Amen. Glory to God. So I'm going to give you a situation that uh, I'm going to put two people sitting at different times in my office talking to me. There's a person sitting in my office talking to me. They receive the messenger. They receive the message. They see the God-ordained order of the church. They are educated and they have uh, no lack of anything, but they are facing some big decisions in their lives. And they come to me and they say to me, so Pastor John, I'm submitted to the messages. I recognize the order of God. I recognize the, the ways of God. And I recognize you as the spiritual leader that God has placed in my life. And I want you to, I want to share some of my, my things with you. And I want us to get into a spiritual agreement about what God wants for, our life, for my life. And I'd like you to speak into what things are going on in my life. Do you receive the attitude of the person? It's open. It's interactive. It's clear. So, what's God got an ability to do? He's got ability of an anointing of a shepherd. He's got the anointing of someone who has to be accountable to God for every word that he speaks over someone else's life both here and in eternity. I am responsible. This is the spiritual order of God. If I don't take my responsibility spiritually, seriously, God already said that I will be judged for it. Not by you, although in time, I will be judged by you too. But I will certainly be judged by God. I fear him more. So we have a conversation. They share their, he shares his plan. They, a family, share their plans with me. We understand what the parameters of what this choice is. We both go away. We pray about it. We come back together. And we see what the will of God is on this matter. Now let's say God says something that is unexpected. And it's different to the original parameters or plans that were made. God says something unexpected. What do they do? What do they do? They've got a choice now. They're either going to go with what God said, or they're going to go with what their original plan was. But why come to me if you're going to just go ahead with your original plan? Why come to me? 
So the reason you would come to me is because one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. A threefold, threefold cord is not easily broken. Which means if we get into agreement with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, with Okay, you agree, we agree, we are all in agreement that this is the way to go. I said this to Sharon one day, I made a financial investment into a business park, and Sharon said to me, what if this doesn't work? I said, Sharon, I'm a tither, I'm a giver, I obey God, I've sought his face, you know, and I said, if this is the wrong decision, God will deliver me out of it, because I know that my threefold cord cannot be broken, my power of agreement with God cannot be broken, and because I'm submitted to his authority first and foremost in his life, I know that he'll get me out of it. Because my life is dedicated to him, not to myself. That's the power of redemption and restoration in God. So I'm going to just contrast this. I could talk lots about that kind of thing because there's lots to say about that. Very positive stuff. But I want to put another. Now someone comes and says to me, Pastor John, I just want to tell you what I'm doing. Okay, so, okay, you're going to do this, you're going to do, yes, okay, all right, I just wanted to let you know, I think it's important for my spiritual leader to know, okay, all right, I'm, I consider myself to be told, <laughs> what have I got to say, I've got nothing to say, can I get myself into agreement with him? No. Can I, can I ask God to bless them? I can't. Because they didn't ask for God's blessing. They haven't asked for my involvement with them for that blessing. They are informing me. They are not asking me. I guess that's the way they work with God. I'm telling you what my plans are. Bless it. He says, only as far as I can, because I bless all my children, right? But if you just look at Christians' lives, it's clear that they don't know how to take the blessing. Why do they not know how to take the blessing? Because they don't know how to hear from God, because they're always telling God. So, here's Gideon, who's hearing everything that God says, and because he does what God says, he gets a great victory. I want to just tell you, that not only did he reverse, and I'm not gonna read it there, but I encourage you to read it. Not only did he reverse the wave of destruction of their harvest, not only did he re reverse that process, he goes after them as they are fleeing and he kills them. As they are going, he kills them and and takes all of the spoils of their wealth, their camels, their everything that they brought with them, he takes it back. God restores in one night, it lasts a week, this whole exercise, God restores what they have taken for seven years. Doesn't this sound like God? He restores in one, one moment what they have been doing for seven years. He restores it like that. Because obedience to God through a messenger. Hallelujah. So when we are expecting and we have ourselves prepared, 
for Brother Jerry coming, our senior apostle and leader, spiritual leader, certainly I consider him to be the man that can direct me and tell me anything about my life and ministry and I will do what he says. Hallelujah. It's happened before. I've had plans. He's disagreed with them. I've put my plans on hold until he got into agreement with me or until he had something else to say about it. I'm not just saying nice words to you. I live this. I live this with him. Amen. And even when it comes to things that, are, 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 that I need to execute on when I've heard clearly from the Lord what to do, sometimes I don't know how. Then I will go to people that are around me that have wisdom and understanding that are filled with faith and the Holy Spirit and I will lean on their wisdom so that they can help me make the how decision. Because I can't possibly know everything about the how. Amen. Okay, so God is in the process of restoration and uh, he's going to do it through a messenger. And Brother Jerry has already said for this year ahead, it's the year of maximum, we're going to the highest level. The Lord spoke to me and said, step up and step in. So we have got to be ready for something and that harvest that's out there that the enemy is comfortably living is ripe for us, us to take the spoils of it. But it's not going to come just because we're sitting in our wine press at a time of grain harvest so that we can make sure that our family lives and we're looked after and we're okay and we've got the best possible solution to upcoming doom and gloom because we have a plan to manage our little harvest. If you've got that mentality that says, I've just got a plan to manage my little harvest, my family, my thing, and God's going to get us out of it, you are, I'm going to say it positively. You are ripe for an angel of the Lord to step in and say, it's time to move out of your comfort zone, but you need to give me an offering first out of your own heart, not out of because I say so. Isn't that the first thing that Gideon did? He went and he took a meal, he brought a, a, a lamb. Listen, those guys were expecting a horde to come and take all their stuff. For Gideon to even give an offering like that was a major, major thing. He has an offering. And then he says, okay, now let's go after those things that have been controlling you. Those gods, those demon spirits that is in the institutions of the world. You've got to go and tear that altar down in your household. In your life. Then you're ready to go and cash in on the spoils. Hello? So we've got to do something different this year. Otherwise, this just becomes a, a nice confession. Right? I'm not interested in a nice confession. I'm interested in a result. I'm interested in the power of God. I'm not interested in my personality getting things done. I'm, I'm wanting God to get things done. I'm also not interested in what the popular culture tells me is going to happen. Hallelujah. Okay. I'm nearly done today. 
Jesus. Says in uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 7, and he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Hold on. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. So the Father has all of the authority for the times and the seasons. Not the European Union. Not Xi Jinping. Not Vladimir Putin. Not Cyril Ramaphosa. Certainly, thank God, not President Biden. God's times and seasons are not in their hands. They're in his hands. They're in his hands. He has declared through human messengers, how is he ever going to make his will known on the earth? Always he has chosen human messengers. How is he going to make his will known? He's going to speak it through humans. I have a Bible here. It's a leather Bible. But I have a Bible here and everything that is written in this Bible was not, except for the Ten Commandments, that was written by the hand of God on tablets of stone. But except for the Ten Commandments, everything else that is written in this Bible was written by who? The hands of men. What? The hands of men. Who guarded those hands? The Holy Spirit. Who told them what to speak out of their mouth? The Holy Spirit. So for us to say, well, you know, I'm not going to take what the messengers of men say to me. I will find my own time with God. I will hear what God says to me and I will only do that. I don't really care what the messengers. You already deceived to think that you can receive it all for yourself. Oftentimes, oftentimes I have to ask this question when people come to seek counsel from me for their lives. I have to ask them this question. So, am I your pastor? Or not? Am I your pastor? Why do you think I would ask them that question? Because if you say with your mouth, I'm your pastor, then that means that you have agreed before God, you have agreed that what he's gonna say is the final authority through me. That agreement, I, I have to sometimes establish it because sometimes people come into my office and they say, yes, and some people have been in my life 10 years, 15 years, 20 years before it manifests itself because what a pastor says is never questioned while they're in agreement. The only time this really matters, am I your pastor or not, is when we're in disagreement. Because then if I'm your pastor and I'm hearing something from God and you're disagreeing with it, then you've got to say, well, who is this pastor to me? Why is he in disagreement with what I'm saying? Most people, ultimately, when that happens, this event occurs. I don't like what he's saying. He doesn't understand me. He doesn't understand the consequences of what he's just said. And so I can't, I, I've already made my plans, and so I can't go with what he's saying. The power of agreement is just gone. 
the order of God is no longer established in your life, and you've just declared, that person has just declared that their will and their ways are obviously much higher than the ways that God has planned for them. They take it on themselves to predetermine their own ways. Amen? And so, it's only when there's disagreement, actually, that this thing really comes. But the times and the seasons are in the hands of God, and He has chosen men to declare things. And so, right now, God has declared some things about us. Amen. Just bear with me, people. I'm finishing off here. Got a couple of minutes left. Jesus says, it is not the time, it's not for you to know the times or seasons with which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is their shepherd. He is their messenger. He is standing there giving them the message from the Father. You shall receive power and it shall come upon you. And then you shall be witnesses. He is declaring something for the Father. They must now choose to get into agreement with what Jesus said. The pattern is clear. Yes? The pattern is clear. I go to... Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were all in one accord in one place. In other words, they fully received what the message was through the messenger that God had sent. And anybody can say, yeah, but, you know, uh, obviously they received him. He's now obviously the Messiah. He's obviously son of God, Savior. Yeah, but it wasn't always the case. They had to make a choice when Jesus was in the flesh because Jesus preached the message one day and he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And everybody left him except the 12. And Jesus looks at them and he says, will you leave me too? And they didn't say they wouldn't. Their answer was, where else can we go? You alone have the words of life. In other words, uh, if there was another choice, we might go with that. Because the message you're preaching is so hard because it seems to go against the whole of the old covenant teaching. Referring to drinking blood and eating flesh. They had to make a choice back then that the messenger and the message is what they submit to. Is what they receive. That's when they chose their eternity. That's when they chose their destiny and their mission. That's when they chose to submit to the assignment of God in their life. Not when they saw a resurrected Christ. It's back then that they made the right choice. Then when Jesus comes back as the resurrected Christ and he says, now the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the times and the seasons are in God and this is the time and this is the season that when you go, the power will come and then you will know. So that's why they were all in one place, in one accord, because they got the message from the messenger. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sitting upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The scripture here in the, in the New Living Translation says, Suddenly the heart, they heard the sound of violent blast of wind rushing in the house from the heavenly realm. It came from the heavenly realm to them. And the roar of the wind was so overpowering that it was, that it was all anyone could hear. And then uh, later on the verse says, They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues. Friday night I talked about being inspired to speak. Come on, just bear with me now. I'm landing this plane. The Holy Spirit is ultimately going to come upon us with power and we are going to speak. And when we are speaking with inspiration, we speak out the will of God. Let me tell you, it is only those that made a decision way back then when every circumstance said, no, 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 who's this guy speaking about eat my flesh and drink my blood? It's clear he's a teacher. It's clear he's a prophet. But everything that he's saying is not what I believe in. They had to choose then. Now, as you go forward, and Jesus is the resurrected Christ, and he speaks again, he says, the time and the season of speaking in a new tongue and having the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be there. Now they're all in one accord, they're all in agreement, and they get to speak inspired utterances. What happens if they didn't get into agreement in the beginning? Then they wouldn't have found them place having Jesus being the resurrected Christ speaking to them. They also wouldn't have gone to the upper room. How many people were in the upper room? 120. How many people followed Jesus? Thousands upon thousands upon thousands. How many people were in the upper room? 120. How many people followed Jesus' ministry? Thousands upon thousands. What was the separation? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. It was a message nobody wanted to hear. So when Jesus comes to the time when he's in the garden of Gethsemane and his time has come in the order of God's authority. Jesus even comes and he says, I know this is your time. I know this is the season that it's my time to die on the earth. And he is so conflicted because he knows he's gonna be separated from the Father for the first time in eternity. He says, if there's any way that this thing can happen without me, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, he says, not my will, Father, but your will be done. This is the challenge of all of our lives. When God speaks, that we do not say, I'm going to pursue my will no matter what. Yeah. Our choice is to say, this seems like a difficult thing to do, Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The people that were not that left Jesus because of eat my blood and drink my flesh, drink my blood and eat my flesh. They were not in the upper room. That means 
they didn't get to experience the rushing mighty wind of the Holy Spirit. They didn't get the experience of inspired speaking. Later on, the Bible says, after the initial event took place, the Bible says there was the preaching of the gospel and many thousands of people came to know God and they, they began to speak inspired utterances also. But God needs 120. God needs 300 and he needs 120. And I ask you, which number are you part of? Are you part of the 22,000? Are you part of the 10,000? Or are you part of the 120 or 300? God is always going to use people that are saying, I'm going to kneel and I'm going to submit and I'm going to do whatever God's will is for my life. So I finish this by saying, Brother Jerry's in a couple of hours, he's on his way. And we've prayed much for him that all will be smooth. All will go well. And God is bringing him to us. And because of our hearts that has been opened, that we want to take care of all of his fuel bill, uh, you can hear the excitement that's in him. You can hear that this is not just, a, just another trip for him. This is a big moment in his life. And we at, are at the end of it. How did we get here? Can I tell you how we got here? In 2014, he brought a message, visitations, manifestations, and demonstrations of the Holy Spirit. At that time, I said, I hear the voice of a messenger. I receive the voice of the message. What must I do to execute on this, Lord? He said, four by four by 40. I said, yes, sir, and I came to the church, and I said, church, I ask you to do one cycle of 40 days for me, but if, with me, but if you want to, let's do three cycles together, because that's what the wisdom of God was, that Jesus died, it was in the, it was in the grave for three days, and I said, he said, do it three times. And there were many people that went on that four by 40 thing, and they didn't, ugh, it's just another thing, it's another gimmick, it's another thing that Pastor John's issuing. They might not have said it like that, but their lethargy in, in not doing it spoke volumes as to how seriously the word was. Now, don't look at me squiff now. Hello? In my separation time with God, at the very last 4 by 4 by 40 in my separation time with God, God says, you pray for Brother Jerry. 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 So urgent was his voice to me. Where I said, the Lord, I'm separating myself for, with you. He says, forget about you and me. You pray for Jerry Savelle. I phoned Sharon. I said, mobilize the whole church. We've got to pray for Jerry Savelle. I didn't know that he was about to have a major heart thing happen to him. And God had separated me so that we could all pray for him. He got through that heart condition, but now God has energized our whole church to keep praying for him, keep praying for him, keep praying for him as our apostolic leader. And then who we didn't know that somewhere two years down the line he was going to have a major stroke. 
I know it's his faith that got it through him, got him through it and all of the covenant brothers, but our prayers were covering him all the time. And then because of my commitment to God to obey him, to separate myself, he says to me, I want you to go and spend time with Jerry Sabel. Go there, spend five weeks there. Then the next year he said, spend seven weeks there. And then you remember then he came here for three days and while he was here, God said to him, you come back and stay as long as you need to. Is it any wonder to you that now when he's got an international plane, his very first international trip comes to a favored son? What made me a favorite son? I am a messenger. I mean, I see him as a messenger. I receive his messages and I do what God tells him. I do what God speaks to me to do through him. Now, hold on a minute. What if I took this attitude and said, I expect all of you to do what I tell you to do, but I'm not going to do anything he tells me to do. How authentic is that? What? Where's where's the power? Where's the control then? It means I want to exercise control. I want to have power, but I'm not prepared to do it upwards. So where's the problem then? Come on, come on, talk to me. Is the problem with Brother Jerry? Is the problem with you? Who's got the problem? Me. Because there's something in me that says, I want you to do what I'm telling you, but I'm not prepared to do the same with someone else. I demand that you obey. But I myself, I will not. Brother Jerry can say what he likes. He can fly a kite. He's in America. I'm in South Africa. Or he can fly his falcon. He's in a, I mean, even when I say those words, it hurts me, even though I'm saying it to, to have an effect, because my heart just can never do that. Can never do that. So is it any wonder to you then that Brother Jerry's coming here? On his first ever trip after so many years, he's been in the ministry 53 years, he's believing God all that time for for an for a international trip where he can have his own international jet and he's coming and the fulfillment of his faith is to South Africa, to sons. Let me tell you, this is not a small matter. This has been happening for years. This is because we chose long time ago, all of us, we chose, and you participated with me. You participated when I said, let's do this. Let's pray for Brother Jerry. Let's obey God. Let's do this. And I said, please release me to do five weeks. You said, we're with you, Pastor John. Please release me to do seven weeks. We're with you, Pastor John. To this day, my relationship is not dependent on whether Brother Jerry lets me speak anywhere. To this day, my relationship is not dependent on whether I have any of his friends come and minister in our church. There is no prid quo, prid quo, quid pro, quo. Prid quo, quo. Prid, yeah, okay, you got it. There is no such thing in my heart. This is a one-way honor. It's a one-way honor. 
Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. And I'm grateful that God placed this revelation in my heart, Pastor Sharon. This goes back all the way to the days when we were in, in Ramah. Yes? All those years, people were leaving the church because they were unhappy with what was happening in the church. And Pastor Sharon said to me, John, it's time for us to move. Look, this thing is not working out the way we said. And I said, Sharon, the Lord didn't tell me to move from this church and I won't move until he speaks. Until that time, Pastor Ray, he's my pastor. And people that left the church, they came and spoke to us and said, when are you leaving the church? I mean, surely you can see this thing's falling apart. This thing's not happening. No, 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 no. When are you going to leave the church? And we said, we're not. And they said, but you guys, you can start a church. You can do this. You know, everybody thought we were fantastic. And so we said, we're not doing that. And Sharon and I had this deep conversation. Why not? I said, well, firstly, God didn't tell me. And I said, secondly, if I leave that church, I'm splitting the church. Oh, but it's only one family. It only takes one family at a time to split a church. It doesn't need a mass exodus of 300 or 500 or 6,000 people to split a church. It just takes one family at a time. And I said, I will not be that. The honor for the messenger and the shepherd in my life started way back then. I started making choices according to the word of God, not according to the popular culture. It was the popular Christian culture, the popular church culture, that that's what you do. My, my attitude and my spiritual stand has not changed from then till now. Hallelujah. I said I was landing this plane about 20 minutes ago. I uh, got into a holding pattern. Flight control put me into a holding pattern, and now it's the flight control says it's time to land this plane. I'm, I am releasing to you today because the next time we see each other, our convention will be on its way. Brother Jerry will be here. And uh, I'm releasing this to you today. Say, come on, let's be people that recognize the, the absolute momentous occasion that God has, has created for us, an event that I believe will be eternal. I truly believe this, that when Brother Jerry gets to heaven one day, he's going to stand before God and he's going to have silver and gold as part of his reward, his works. The Bible says some of our works are going to be burnt and then some of it's going to be just wood and some of it's going to be silver and gold. And the things that we believe God for with faith and the outcome of faith is going to stand as silver and gold. I believe this moment, this event is going to stand for Brother Jerry as a moment for his faith as silver and gold. Because he never quit for all those years believing and this is the fulfillment of it. And so we are the partners that Apostle Paul would write to his Philippian partners and say, even though you partnered with me all the way through. And I cannot speak to any other partners the way I speak to you, but to you I can say you are my partners. I believe 
because we are partners like that with Brother Jerry. We're receiving, just like the Apostle Paul prayed over there, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus because we are that partnering church with him. Because this is just not about money. This is about our heart condition. This is about our understanding of who he is and what message he's bringing. It's about the whole package. It's not just the one thing. And so I release it to you now. I'm saying to you there is an event that's happening. And this event is this. That when we get together, the power of the Holy Spirit is being released. And there is going to be a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. It will come upon you. And some of you will begin to speak in inspired utterances. You may not do it publicly, but you're going to be moved by the Holy Spirit because of this event that's going to happen. And the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will speak with inspired utterance. And you will begin to speak and declare forth the things of God for your life. And you may find yourself saying things like this. Yes, and yes, I will be walking into. And yes, I will be receiving by the Holy Spirit. And yes, my future is bright. And yes, my hands are going to prosper at what I touch. And yes, He's leading me to new divine connections. And yes, there are new wells that I will be digging that will be springing forth new water. And yes, there will be miracles of turning water into wine. And yes, there could be a whole lot of inspired speaking that you begin to speak. Because God is wanting to take us to the maximum, to the highest level. And we've got to step up to it and step into it. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. And we're going to step into things that are not for the average people, but they are for the sons of God. The most high God, we are His sons. We are His covenant people. Hallelujah. And He has given authority into our hands. Therefore, we speak. And so, inspired utterances will come. Won't you stand to your feet, please? We are getting some new lights this week. Praise the Lord. So we can have another bank of lights here so that anytime Brother Jerry wants to come in the front here, we have every lighting everywhere. Praise Jesus. I believe this is, a, this is a milestone in the body of Christ. I really do. For South Africa, I believe the general of faith that is coming here is, is doing something through us, for us, for South Africa. Amen. Hallelujah. So I just want to say, if you thought, you well, you know, uh, I've got busy, I'm busy, I'm not going to make it to that meeting, I'm not going to make it, and I'm not sure about the speaker. Let me tell you, everybody that's going to be in this conference is under the leadership and the authority of Brother Jerry. That means everybody that's speaking is going to be inspired by the utterances of God to say what they have to say. Don't think it's not Brother Jerry, then it's not worth attending. Can the music ministry come up, please? Hallelujah. And can the ushers, please, you can be seated again. Because I wanted to do communion, and this is important. I forgot to do an offering also. I got my offering in my hands, in my pocket. I was touching it all the time. I was so needed to get this message out. Hallelujah. 
glory to Jesus, but we're going to do communion first. Praise the Lord. Thank you. So the, the band can take communion afterwards. They're going to play for us during. Thank you. Is that okay, Sharon? Thank you. Praise the Lord. Just play. Just play. Just play. As the Holy Spirit. Just play. So if you uh, have been part of this church a long time, you will know that having communion is a celebration of the life of Jesus. It's a celebration of His death and His resurrection. It's a celebration of health and healing and blessing that He has brought to us. It is also a celebration that no sickness or disease can exist in our lives because of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a celebration that the blood of Jesus has caused all of our goings and all of our living to be blessed. It is also the release of the power of God into our lives to overcome every sin, everything that tries to easily beset us and hold us down. The power of the blood of Jesus and the body of the Lord Jesus Christ gives us the grace and the power to overcome everything every stronghold that is in our lives. This is a celebration. This is a celebration. It's a celebration. It's a recognition. It's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing for us to say, Lord, you died for us. And because you died for us, you've given us all things to enjoy freely. Freely. You know, for many, many years, whenever we would have communion, people would get very serious and they'd feel like they have to repent from their sins and they would go into this whole introspective thing of, you know, all of that. Well, Jesus already paid the price for our sins and He has removed us as far from our sins as the East is from the West. And the Bible says that those sins He remembers no more. In fact, I'll tell you what, if you said to the Lord, Lord, I receive You as Lord and Savior of my life, and I declare that I'm a sinner and you saved me from all my sins. He doesn't even remember what sin you bring before him. If you go back to Jesus now and you say, you remember that sin I did? If you've got a memory in your mind and you say, remember that one? He says, what one? But don't you have a memory, Jesus? No, I don't. Doesn't the Father God remember? No, he doesn't. That is beyond your concept of human intellect because you remember everything. But the Father doesn't remember anything that is against Him. How can He? He's forgiven you. It's been washed. It's been washed away by the blood of Jesus. So if you have a garment that's got a stain on it, yes, and you wash it and the stain is gone, 
you might have a memory that the stain was there, but when you look at the garment, the stain is no longer there. That is the power. That is the power of the blood. It's washed away every stain of your love. Anything that you're ashamed of, guilty of, anything that you might feel, Jesus is washed. That's why we celebrate the blood. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Will you join me, please, and take the body of the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, we thank you for the body that was broken for me, and I receive all of my healing. I receive all of the good things that I need have, have restored in my life. I receive it now in Jesus' name. Anything in the material world that is mine, I receive it in Jesus' name. And the blood of the Lord Jesus. We receive the blood of the Lord Jesus and we thank you, Lord, that the blood washed away our sins. The blood has removed any hindrance that we might have to have all of the good things that Jesus died for us. And we honor you and we recognize it. And we say thank you, Lord, that as we step into the new things that you have for us with the week coming, that we do so remembering and celebrating the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.